handful of verses from Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. And starting at verse 1. So, it says, The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. So John came, baptizing in the desert region, and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. Great diet. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that as we look into it for these few moments this morning, that you'd speak to us from it, that you'd show us more of who you are, perhaps even show us more of who we are in you, so that we can follow you more fully and keep you as the center of our lives. So we commit our time and your word into your hands and ask that you bless us through it in Jesus' name. Amen. The first electric light bulb was so dim that they needed a candle to find the socket to put the globe in. One of the earliest steamboats was so slow that it took a day and a half to go about 200 kilometers, and I worked the speed out of that about seven kilometers an hour. Nowadays, you can cruise around the world in just a matter of weeks. Their first flight of Orville and Wilbur Wright lasted 12 seconds. Great aeroplane flight. I'm not sure how they knew that they were actually flying in just 12 seconds. But that's what it was. Nowadays you can fly from Sydney to London non-stop, well you can't at the moment, but you can, and it'll take something like 18 or 20 hours. The first flight, 12 seconds. The first cars would only go about five or six kilometers an hour and they broke down often. They were generally passed by people in horse-drawn carriages with the drivers of the horse-drawn carriages calling out as they went past, get a horse! Everything starts somewhere. Back in 2019, we celebrated the beginning of our church, not the building, but the church uh, being founded in Swan Hill. We celebrated uh, the anniversary of our church's beginning. You have a beginning. Every year you probably celebrate that anniversary too. And whether you want to, or we tend to celebrate our beginning from the day we're born, but whether you want to say you actually began the moment you were conceived or whether it was the day you were born, doesn't matter. There was most of history when you exist and then there was a moment when you did exist. You had a beginning. The world had a, has a beginning. We read about that in Genesis 
chapter 1 when uh, God created everything that, it, that, that is. And although scientists try to tell us that it just happened randomly by accident millions and millions of years ago, what we do know from what we read in the Bible is that there was nothing except God, of course, and then there was a world as God created everything that is out of nothing. Everything has a beginning. Even the gospel of Jesus has a beginning. We know that Jesus eternally existed with his heavenly Father. But Mark writes about the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ. So if you like, the beginning of the good news about Jesus. Now Mark wrote at an interesting time in history Scholars tell us that Mark wrote sometime after the great fire in Rome, which happened in the year 64. Uh, history tells us, or perhaps legend tells us, that Nero was fiddling while Rome was burning. And when it was all over, and a third or more of the city was destroyed, Nero the emperor needed someone to blame, so he blamed Christians. And history tells us that Nero would capture Christians and he would tie them up to uh, stakes set up around his garden and he would cover them with oil or pitch or something and then in the night he would light them, set them on fire and use them to light his garden at night so that he could continue his parties. It was a terrible time to be a Christian in Rome after the great fire of Rome. But history also tells us that Mark probably wrote at the beginning of the Jewish wars against Rome. If you know anything about Bible history, you'll know that there's always tension between the Jews and the Romans. The, the Romans found that the Jews just didn't fit their mold. They were always rebelling against something. And finally, during the decade of the 60s in the first century, they did rebel and they rose up against Rome and there was a war that lasted a couple of years and finally it ended in I think about the year 70 when Rome stormed into Jerusalem and absolutely destroyed everything and Jesus' prophetic words that there would not be one stone left upon another was fulfilled and the temple was absolutely obliterated and destroyed because the Romans had just had enough of these Jews. So you can imagine, it was a difficult time to be a Christian in those days. There were lots of Christians that were not sure what was happening in their world, much like there probably has been this last 12 months or so. There were lots of Christians who were wondering whether it was all worthwhile and whether they were going to see the end of this dark and desperate period of their lives. And Mark wanted to write and encourage them Mark had a, an encouraging word, so he wants to write to these struggling Christians to encourage them, to encourage them to persevere and endure all of the things that were going on in that part of history. And so he writes about the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, Mark starts in a funny way. He doesn't start with the beginning. He actually just starts with beginning. Not very good English. Well, he wasn't writing in English, but it's not very proper to start with a word like beginning. But he wants to remind people what the absolute foundation is, how this all got started, 
He wants to remind them of those most important things that we all need to remember. So he goes right back to the beginning to talk about the gospel of Jesus. And it's interesting what he says about the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ. Right there in that first verse, you get the gospel message summed up. It's the beginning of the gospel, the good news about Jesus. Do you realize that the beginning of the gospel is a person? It's not a thing, it's not a set of rules, it's not a set of regulations, it's not an experience, it's a person. When God wanted to bring new life to his people, when he wanted to show them that he was a loving Heavenly Father, when he wanted to show them this new life that he'd made possible or was making possible, he brought them himself, Jesus, a person. You can study the world's religions and you'll find out that some started through an experience that their founding fathers had, some set of rules and regulations that were handed down somehow, but our faith started with a person. The good news, the gospel of Jesus starts with a person. And that's why we focus on Jesus in our worship. We want to remember that this is all about someone. It's not about something so much as it's about someone, Jesus. Mark says it's the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, or Messiah, if you like. That's again reminding us not only is this about a person, but it's about the one who God had promised would come, the Messiah, who would come and bring life to his people. He'd come and bring judgment on all God's enemies. would come in answer to all of those promises that God had made to his people right down through the centuries. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus, Messiah, the Son of God. You know, when we see that, the Son of God, when we see that in the New Testament, it reminds us that Jesus is God. It reminds us that not only was he born as a human like you and I, but he is God. And it's, if you like, God himself coming to us. Also, when we see that, the Son of God, it reminds us as Jesus the King. The Son of God is often connected with the King, the royal theme throughout the Old Testament and even into the New Testament. So we're reminded again that the good news begins with a person. It begins with Jesus. The Messiah's promise to come and to put everything right according to God's way. This royal Son of God King who would rule and reign forever. The beginning of the good news of Jesus is a person. It's Jesus himself. But you know, the beginning of the good news is Jesus and a message. Did you pick that up in those verses that we read? John the Baptist came with a message. But John the Baptist came to fulfill a promise as well. Now, it starts with a message. 
What was John's message? John, we're told, came preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. A baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. We remember John as the Baptist, the one who baptized people, and that's certainly what he did. But why did he baptize people? Because his message was a message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. We read in, I think it's Luke's Gospel, about people coming to John saying, what must we do? And then John telling them what repentance would look like in their situation. We read also in this passage in Mark that the people came confessing their sins and then John baptised them. The message was a, a message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. There's a story told that uh, when Billy Graham was preaching at a, a meeting in Beverly Hills in Los Angeles, one of the people in the crowd was notorious Los Angeles gangster Mickey Cohen. In his younger days, Mickey used to work in Chicago with Al Capone. But as he'd gotten older, he branched out on his own as gangsters often did. And he set up his operations in Los Angeles. He was very impressed with the gospel message that Billy Graham had preached. And afterwards, got talking to some of the workers there and they encouraged him to invite Jesus into his life. He said he'd done that. He said that's what he wanted to do. And so they understood that he'd invited Jesus into his life. But nothing seemed to change for Mickey. And when they challenged him on his lifestyle, now that he was a follower of Jesus, his response was to say, well, there's Christian sports people, and there's Christian army officers, and there's Christian business people. Why can't there be Christian gangsters? And the people that he was talking to said, no, no, you've got to repent turn away from that and your life has got to change. And his response was, well, you didn't tell me that. But you know, that's the heart of the, the message. That's the message. Repent for the forgiveness of your sins. Chuck Swindle, famous Christian writer, uh, wrote some years ago about how we, are, uh, we so want the blessings and the benefits of life with Jesus without the cost of things like repentance. You know, if you watch TV a little bit, you'll see ads for this piece of equipment that's going to help you lose weight and do exercise without actually getting off your couch. You'll become like these models and you'll, you'll be fit and you'll be able to do it all while watching TV sitting on your couch. We want the benefit without the price of what it takes to get the benefit. And so many Christians are the same. We want the forgiveness of sins without the repentance that leads to the forgiveness of sins. John came with a message. If you read on in uh, this chapter of Mark, you're going to read what Jesus says when he first starts preaching. He says, the kingdom of God has come, therefore repent. It's the same thing that John had spoken about. It's this message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Sadly, it's 
one of those things that seems to have gotten missed over the years in a lot of Christian teaching. We want the benefit, we want the blessing, we want the forgiveness without the repentance. We think we can live however we want. But it only comes through repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, one of the things we've got to we've got to come to terms with, if you like. There's a tendency for most of us, for many of us, for all of us perhaps, to think that we're somehow doing God a favour by being on his side. There's something about that's going to help God enormously. There's something good in us that God's going to use. But actually, the truth is, there's not. That's why John came with a message of repent for the forgiveness of sins. You see, if we were good, if we were good enough that we could add something to the kingdom of God by our own uh, lives, then John wouldn't have needed to come saying repent for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus wouldn't have come having to say repent for the forgiveness of sins. But you see, there's nothing in us that doesn't need to be saved and redeemed by Jesus' blood. Everything about you needs to be washed clean. Everything about me is condemned in God's eyes except what Jesus has redeemed by his blood. We see that in what Jesus says. Jesus tells us himself that we need to change. In Luke's Gospel, there's, I think it's chapter 13, there's a little story in there of some people who came to Jesus and asked him about a tragic event that had happened. Now, we don't really understand what the tragic event was except the details that Luke gives us. And for some reason, Pilate, the governor, the Roman governor, had killed some, uh, some uh, Jews as they were offering their sacrifices. The way Luke writes it is that Pilate mingled their blood with the sacrifices. So we don't know why he did that, we don't know what happened or how it happened, but we know some people were killed. And these people that came to Jesus says, say to Jesus, what about those people? As though to say they hadn't done anything wrong, what about them? What's God going to say about them? And you know what Jesus says in reply to them? He says, unless you repent, you'll suffer the same fate. Don't think you're exempt. Unless you repent, you'll suffer. Not necessarily that you'll be killed by Pilate, but death and judgment will be the, the same result. So Jesus says to people in his day, you need to change, you need to repent. The Apostle Paul in Romans says things like this. He says, there is no one righteous, not even one. That's not good news, is it? He goes on to say, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everyone. He goes on to say, I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. And he, when he says I, he's using himself as an example for all of us, everyone. He goes on to say, I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. In other words, without the change that Jesus brings, we've got nothing. 
we've got nothing to offer. In the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament, it says this, The hearts of men are full of evil, and there is madness in their hearts. You only need to watch the news to see that that's true. God says in the book of Ezekiel, he says, I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. That's the promise that God makes through Ezekiel for our new life, for our conversion, for what would happen to us. Jesus died on the cross for us and rose again and we repent and believe and he comes into our lives. So God is saying, we need to change. So he sends John ahead of Jesus with the message, repent for the forgiveness of sins. Now, why are we talking about all this? Two reasons. First of all, we must remember that the beginning of the good news is Jesus himself. You see, lots of other churches focus on other things. For example, in some church denominations, it's the Holy Communion, that's all the Eucharist, that's the central thing. If, if uh, they meet together, they're going to do that. That's the most important thing. In other churches, it's uh, miracles, signs and wonders. For other churches, it's baptism in the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. Other churches have different things that are the central focus to them. And all of those things are important. I'm not saying they're not important. They all are important. But the beginning is Jesus. Not a thing. Not a ritual. Not a principle. Not a principle of teaching or a rule or a regulation, but a person. The beginning is Jesus. And the message that comes with Jesus is the message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins because we all need new life. We all need to change. Jesus came with that same message as well. Repent for the kingdom of God is here. Turn. Change your mind. You can't have the benefits without the cost of repentance. Jesus says you can't serve two masters. You can't serve yourself or whatever masters you might be serving in this life and serve Jesus at the same time. There's got to be a turning from so that we can turn to. Everyone needs to go through that life change if Jesus is going to be your Lord and Saviour. The beginning of the gospel is Jesus. It's a person. The beginning of the gospel is a message. Repent for the forgiveness of sins. It all starts there. Meeting Jesus leads us to repent. And then baptism for John was the sign that you had repented. We read in that passage that people came confessing their sins and then John baptized them as a sign that they'd repented and changed their ways, changed their life focus. The beginning of the gospel is a person. It's Jesus. The beginning of, a go- of the gospel is a message, a person with a message, if you like. Repent. The kingdom of God is here. Repent for the forgiveness of sins. Now, Jesus comes 
just a few verses later when he starts to preach and he, he also says the kingdom of God is here, repent for the forgiveness of sins. But Jesus' message was focused on the kingdom of God and what he was saying was if you want to be part of this kingdom, the beginning, the first step is repentance. Now the idea of the kingdom is that someone rules and reigns, someone's in charge. So I guess the question that we can ask ourselves is, who's in charge? Who rules and reigns in us? Who's in charge of us? Have we wanted to just grab the blessings, the, the promises, without going through the first steps, the beginning steps of repentance, without paying the price of repenting and turning away from that old life so that we can follow Jesus? Who is really in charge of us and who rules us? You see, one of the things that Jack Swindle said in that little quote that I mentioned earlier was that he, he, he'd noticed that people think they can add believing in Jesus to their lives. So wherever you are, all you've got to do is add believing in Jesus and forget about the difficult bit of repentance. But Jesus comes and says, no, repent to be part of the kingdom of God. We need to change. We can't just add something else into our lives. So who rules for you? Who is in charge for you? In order to enjoy the blessings of heaven, have we been through the price of repentance first? I remember when I was first in mission, one of the elements of our training was learning this lesson of confession and forgiveness. Our group was a little bit slow to catch on, and I remember a, a particular day uh, we walked into our lecture room, and all of the major leaders were there. And today was going to be the day when we got the point confession and understood repentance properly. And so our leader led us in, uh, in this confession, and he led the way by confessing things that were. When you think about it, and uh, that opened the floodgates of all confession and repentance. And sometimes, uh, some time after that, there were several things that people still needed to confess and repent of. But the thing I remember most is the experience that we had of walking with Jesus changed from that day onwards from the point of confession and repentance, when we stopped hanging on to those things that were part of our past and turned to follow him, repenting for the forgiveness of sins. So, again, who rules in you? Is it the kingdom of God? And have you got there through this repentance for the forgiveness of sins? The beginning of the gospel is a person. It's Jesus and the person, Jesus, brings a message of repent for the forgiveness of sins. Life can change. You can change. So let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that the beginning of the gospel is you. It's not a set of rules that we need to obey. It's not a, a, a set of 
hoops that we need to jump through. It's, it's not a lifestyle that we need to adopt. It's you. And so, Lord, we just want to focus on you again. And we want to remember, Lord, that you came with a message of repent, not because it's all doom and gloom, but because there's a better life that you have for us, and we can't have that better life until we've turned away from the old life. So, Lord, we want to thank you for that, that you've made it possible for us to turn away from that old life and receive forgiveness of sin, join your kingdom, and know what it is to be one of your children. Lord, we want to thank you for that. Pray, Lord, that as we think on these things, that you would continue to speak to us. Draw us to yourself, and Lord, don't let us hang on to anything that we need to turn away from so that we can follow you more fully. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name.